And welcome back. You're listening to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. On the line, we are absolutely delighted to have an Irishman who is playing his trade in Sweden of all places. Marco Sullivan is the away for A coach who works with AIK and he is also a district coach educator for the Swedish FA in the Stockholm area. Mark, welcome to the big kickoff. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Great. Listen, Mark. There's a bit of a distance between Cork and Stockholm. So could you take back how you got there and then how you ended up coaching with AIK? Um, well, I came in 1994 to visit friends that I studied with in university. Right. Um, the idea was I was just coming for three weeks. and <laughs> Now I'm here 23 years. And it was <laughs> that's just basically it was just not planned. Right. <laughs> and uh, there's nothing else to it. And um I've like my two main passions in my life that came through my family were music and sport. Right. So I've always I've been lucky to be involved in both things. Is it uh, is one of the reasons why you went out because of the music? Or, no, no. Okay. <laughs> no, just go somewhere else. All right. <laughs> <laughs> pre pre Celtic Tiger. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, just you know I had the opportunity to go. I had a free gaff to stay in over just outside in a place called Uppsala, just north of Stockholm, and uh, I just took the opportunity and hung out a bit, and you know, and three weeks became three months, became three years, became twenty three years, and um, the coaching came because of an accident I guess I, I started a, a soccer club here with um, some expats uh, that, that we just met socially and we used to play football once a week and we, then we built a club and what we used called Mark the yeah what we called and the club went all the way up to, this is in Stockholm went all the way up to Division 3 but while I was playing there was some one of the it was a Dutch guy playing with us was coaching some kids and he said do, you want, do I want to come along and help and I said, yeah, yeah. So I started, and then within a month, he left. So I was left on my own, right. looking after about 22, 16-year-olds. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God. What? So I, I just started well, doing the coach education courses and and uh, here in Sweden. And, uh, I think it was five years ago I got my UFA. Great. And what was your what was your coaching background when you had started the, the, the football club? Zero? Um Limited, yeah. <laughs> extra, extra, extraordinarily limited. I came very late into coaching. I think it's just like moving to Sweden was never planned, and neither was me becoming a coach. But I'm always interested in learning, whether it was music or sport. Or, you know, I was always interested in how people learned and why, and what motivated us to learn. What's the best environments for learning? How can we create them? I've always been interested in that, either through music or through sport. So. I guess it just manifested itself in, in coaching. Right. There's um, one of the reasons why we have you on is because after I heard you on the talent equation, which was excellent, ah. it was excellent, by the way. Thank I, you. I thought about a story that we had talked about, it's actually a couple of months ago, from Richard Dunn. And his thoughts yeah. were that Premier Clubs were running their academies like machines. He said that in, yeah. in, Monaco, yeah. in Monaco, they train once a week and play and, and, and that's it so do you do you agree with that is that your experience too absolutely I think he's, he's spot on there um, well first of all uh, we, what, when we're talking about child sport we need to ask ourselves some serious questions the first was can you predict the future or do you know anyone else who can yeah. and that's a pretty clear answer to that yeah yeah. Uh, and then the second one is if, if we if we removed 
um, child youth sport, everything around it, burnt it to the ground and built it from zero on children's emotional and physical needs, would it look like it does today? Yeah. yeah. And the answer to that is no as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, they're very, these questions I regularly ask when I give talks or lectures or workshops at the beginning, because I think they're very, they're simple questions, but they're very important. And uh, what we have is, I think, in many, most academy, uh, uh, academy environments, is, is like it's like some old conveyor belt. I don't know if you've ever seen the old films where you have thousands of people working on a conveyor belt, just you know, yeah. hammering stuff. And yeah, it's like spelled. It's like this Taylorism, this kind of conveyor belt reductionist approach, and that's basically what it is and we're just exchanging children like spare spare parts so you're not good enough now you know you're you're nine now you're not good enough you haven't developed so there's a better guy across the road we're taking him in instead we do do see that an awful lot here in Ireland with kids if you're not in premier by under 13 you're nearly a a goner you know so which is which is nonsense because everyone's at their own level and, and their body changes yeah. you know everyone's capacities and structures develop non-linear mm. at their own rate and, yeah. and this i think it's quite arrogant of adults to think like this about children to be honest with yeah. you I, I don't really understand it it's an incredible arrogance and disrespect i was i was reading uh, the eca report on youth academies in europe and the majority of clubs up to the age of 12 train three times per week plus a match Ajax yeah. three times, Barcelona three, Inter four, Zagreb four. I could go through the whole lot of them. Lons, Lisbon three. Uh, mm. So wh- when you take that out of the... And you look at Ajax as well. What mm. and, and they do something similar. Uh, what's right and what's wrong? I mean, uh, how much training... No, the, the fact is, uh, it's far too complex to ask what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. Mm. Um, maybe we should ask Seamus Coleman how many tra- t- times a week he trains soccer or Gaelic football, and I'm quite sure he trained Gaelic football far more. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I read an interview with Shane Long, and he was a similar. He trained more hurling than soccer, so it's it really is like a sport that has... Uh, that is basically... You don't reach your level until after maturity. You don't reach your peak level until after maturity. That we're in such with this race to the bottom of selecting five and six-year-olds is is just insane because we can't tell anything until after peak maturity. That can be anything between seventeen and twenty-one. Yeah. So, I, I don't, I don't know. There is no answer. It's far too complex. There is, you know, we 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 have academies and coaches saying that you know learn to dribble like Messi and then you just see thousands of cones you know like some form of cone. <laughs> yeah. and they're I not a cone, cone on the pitch porn. <laughs> cone porn <laughs> and I just learn to dribble like Messi but really did Messi learn to dribble dribbling in and out of cones you know? yeah probably not <laughs> so there's just too many myths and too many people think they have there isn't there's no silver bullet to anything yeah. Just to go on that, Mark, as you were saying, like uh, they're going at them as young as five and six and seven and eight at this stage. Obviously, watching football as a fan, we're involved in kind of coaching over the years, and obviously watching now, like there's the less and less technical players. Is it because they're taking in almost too early and following this manual instead of going out there and learning these skills that even the likes of Messi and Ronaldo have, they would have learned them on the streets, as you know. Yeah, yeah. Is Um, like the game is. Have you heard the, the interview with Damien Duff? Yeah, uh, the street on um, what's your man Graham 
the big the big interview that uh, the, um, what's the, Hunter, the, is the English guy who Graham Graham Hunter, Hunter, yeah. Hunter yeah and it's a lovely story is Damien Duff has told the Shamrock Rovers to go out and coach the wingers and he says he just goes out there and he goes okay and he said he's no idea what to do <laughs> because he himself was so implicit yeah his his how he developed his skills were really implicitly learned yeah and this is a thing where I've I've been doing a lot of work now with the Canadian FA helping them develop their coach education curriculum and well, what I've done with a wonderful man called Jason DeVos who's really brilliant to work with over there he, we're, we're removing we're moving away from teaching and speaking about learning hmm. so there's this kind of concept that the coach is the fountain of all knowledge and I'm going to teach you how to dribble and I'm going Correct. to teach you how to pass but how, how people dribble and pass and control it's very personal I was just about to you say know, that it's, it's, it's a feeling isn't it it's how, it, how does it feel for you yeah, and try it a different personal. way and you never and, you, and, and why do we you know the, the biggest cause of injury among children is repetition mm-hmm. why do we repeat the same move with children that is, that is highly stupid and dangerous yeah. and they keep saying that oh you know we have to we have to have that's how they learn to pass a ball but that's one way of passing it and you never pass a ball the exact same way twice in a game anyway so there's a lot of, and, and that's when you go back to we're not maybe people say oh why don't, we're not developing tech I don't it's not we're developing very technical players but not skillful players. Sorry, yeah, that's probably the the, the right word I'm using. Then yeah. kind of not ma- mavericks, but guys who you know are just that naturally. Yeah. Technique not, is the biomechanics. Yeah, yeah. Skill is the is the biomechanics with decisions, awareness, and taking in information. And we're we're, we're reducing the training environment and removing the information. I, I come from a very ecological dynamics view of how we work. And that's the relation, it's the player environment relationship. And we're removing the environment and we're just having the player in an isolated context with actually mm. no meaning. And we think they're learning and they're not really. Yeah, of course, it's like some form of conditioning. Of course, they get short term results, but in the long term, you wonder why, you know, why isn't the kid looking up? Yeah, because you've been, you've been looking at cones all day long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just it sounds so stupid. Then, How many it? cones would you bring to the training pitch now, Mark? Cones? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I don't, I don't know. It depends. I might have to mark out. <laughs> I, just, I, I use them for boundaries. And that's it? And that's it. Or just you have cone goals, you dribble through, or you, you create zones. Nothing else, really. I, I, I don't see the benefit in, in them. You know? I've never seen any, anyone tackled by a cone yet, have you? True. Yeah. True. <laughs> True. I've seen one. I've seen one. He went snot in his face. Although the early Wales came there, you would <laughs> Um, we have a, a high performance director here in Ireland, Rude Doctor. Do you know him or have you heard of him? Uh, I don't know him, no. Okay, and he has he's changed. He's put out a, a sort of a, a map of what way fo- Irish football is going to go. One of them is a weighted football. Uh, all age groups have, they're all size five footballs, but they're weighted for uh, each under 8s to under 10s under 10s to under 12s and, and what have you and he also tried to, wanted to try and implement this hasn't come in yet but maybe because it, he, he realised it was a stupid idea that every 11 aside team had to play 4-3-3 oh yeah that's great isn't now, <laughs> does that, isn't that, isn't that brilliant isn't that worrying isn't that worrying the weighted football I, I know that Germany used weighted footballs and uh, decided to go back to the regular size fours and fives again. What, what way did, are, are the footballs over in you Sweden? Know, well, you know what? When I heard that, I always think, who's making money from this? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's the first question I ask. If somebody's putting something in like this, there's somebody making something somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it does. You know? that I don't know, but 
I don't I don't see the point of that. I, I, I don't know. It's just another thing to put in to make it look like you're doing something. I, I think it is. Because it's, it's, the, first, the first thought I had was, well, why would you give a, a little six-year-old or seven-year-old a size five football to try and reach up and do his skills when obviously a smaller ball that's in uh, perspective to his height is something that he would need. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't really understand the thought. I would. I. I am checked to see if there's any science around it. There's actually no research or science available that I found. So I. Yeah. I don't know what evidence this is based on. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. And this with four three three. Yeah, of course. But but I. Why are we focusing on getting children to play a system when really we should be te- helping them learn the principles of the game? Yeah. You know, the principles of when we create width, depth, you know, our body profile positioning, how to be, you know, open passing lanes and how to close space, how to open space, how to identify space. These are the essential principles. And then really, once you have the principles, then you, we have players that can adapt to 4-3-3, 4-4-2, 3-4-3, And that's what we really need. Yeah. We don't. You know, this this one size fits. That's kind of more one size fits all structure that has been promoted. I have a feeling, Mark, that if the three five two, which is coming into play now, if that had been in fashion, then three five two would have been thrown in. I don't think there was too much talk behind it. Yeah, um, probably. But but the it, yeah, I agree with you, mate. And but I think it's all about principles. Yeah. Let kids learn the principles. Create design learning environments where kids can. D- search for information, discover, exploit, and use, and learn the principles. And then, whatever formation you want, they learn to adapt to as they get older. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what What do you think is wrong with the? I'll, I'll just say English academies because mostly it is them that they need to fill their academies with young European kids while the rest of Europe develop their own. Um. Well, I think what's wrong with academies in England from my knowledge and I've met some people who work there, there's some good work there's some people really trying to do good stuff mm. Nick Levitt is in England is really in the NFA is really trying to push some issues around children's football in a very positive way um, are they is it, are they developing supporters, are they, you know, are they recruiting supporters, yeah. future supporters, I don't know yeah. um, I did an article in my blog about where I referred to Fulham were having um, a talent ID day for five year olds and uh, parents had to fill in a form. What was the chosen? What was the preferred position of their child? <laughs> and, and basically, I've a, I have a five-year-old. His preferred position is in the middle of a load of Lego. <laughs> so I, you know, I asked Fulham this: like, can he play? <laughs> That's his preferred position. Will he supply Lego? You know. So <laughs> that's that's really what's wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's what's wrong. And th- then they said, they said, but other people, you know, other clubs do it. And, you know, that's that's mm. like I said, that's really childish. You know, if my daughter wants to stay out late, and I say you're not, and then she says, oh, all my other friends are staying out late. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, that's what's really is wrong. Is there a lack of thought behind it? Is There's it- a lack of. It's I don't know what it is. And it's it's I know that they're questioning it now, and there was some revealing articles of the Guardian about suicides suicides among young players that were rejected from the academy system and mm. and then um, there's Howard Wilkinson who in, who started this is, is asking for the whole thing to be reviewed now which is very positive and very big of him I think yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some really good people working with children's football and really talented people it's just that I think the the norms that are created around what children's sport is is actually um, 
limiting how they work and how they, you know. We must remember one thing about child sport. Sometimes children, child sport is just children playing sport, nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. And it's, the, it's re- really the, this adultification. Yeah. Like, is. Especially. Is just, it's just getting ridiculous. Especially with professional clubs. Is that. Yeah. Are, are you thinking they're taking the fun element out of it for kids, especially seven and eight year olds? Like, they're seven and eight. Yeah. Is, is, would you be, without us not being on the training ground, is it fairly safe to say there's probably little or no fun with them on the training, say in, in Liverpool or United or wherever it may be? It's very much professional from the get-go, from the coaching um, side of things. I, I would assume, and um, I did, uh, there was some guy from Bleach Report asked me my opinion on some five-year-old who was on, he's, he's five, or just going on six, and he's training with Liverpool, Man United, Man City and Everton. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean the guy is starting a professional career. Yeah, you yeah. know that's 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 he's building up for performance anxiety. Yeah. You know, it's just from kind of talking now, and it's kind of a realization. Like you see, especially us watching a lot of English football, you see a lot of these young players who are eighteen, nineteen, and they're full of promise, and we have them as the next big thing. And by twenty-one or twenty-two, you kind of go, "Do you remember him?" And would some of the would some of the reasons be that they're just burnt out now because they're they're in from six year, six years of age and. They can't see out. A, yeah, well, a, a pr- that's proper... where the evidence is going. The evidence yeah. is very, very clear mm. in the research work done um, uh, that there we have there is many psychological problems. Burnout mm. um, is a big one. Injuries, of course, as I said, mm. we're we're having eleven and twelve year olds with their ACLs going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, hip problems. You know, we're forcing seven-year-olds to open their hips to pass the ball with the inside of their foot. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's just insane stuff to yeah. be doing. Um, it's like, again, we're back to this one-size-fits-all repetition of movement that is causing real problems when really the best way of learning anything in a sport is what I refer to is repetition without repetition. It's kind of repeating movements with variation. Mm. And that's, you know, in the context of a, of a game or a small game or a play context, that's what children do and that's how they learn, you know. And, and there's very clear evidence that this is a worrying factor. There's a great report by the um, International was it Olympic Committee did a consensus report on youth athlete development and they refer to this about the psychological burnout and the injuries due to basically the race to the bottom have to start them early uh, otherwise you'd fall behind yeah and this is yeah this is sadly i don't know maybe it's this this the x-factor generation maybe it's this neoliberalist individualism that is consuming us maybe yeah it's all tied into this complex mesh but um something <laughs> needs to be done i think you know and yeah we're trying our best here in Sweden, where um, there's a lot of reflection going on. It's it's it, it's it's hit the news. It's six o'clock news discussions, big polarization. But um, now now the United Nations Charter of Human Rights of Children is the ground for the Swedish FA. That's page one. Right. Well, so I read. That's where we start. I read one of the the. Uh, blogs that you had. Quiet revolution starts to bring. Yeah. Yeah. Noise. Um, what are AIK doing now that was different than what they were doing a couple well, of years Well, they used Select as ACE. Okay. Um, their academy. So now they've decided that they will not have a selection until at least 13. Okay. 
and that the idea we will keep those 8 to 13 year olds in their groups some those groups are often formed by school geography um, and we will in the club is investing more uh, money into coaches and into developing learning environments for all children mm. in those ages to keep basically the, the aim is as many as possible as long as possible as good as possible right so very inclusive and of them and then we're inclusive but yeah. there is more resources being put into it this is very like it's this is it's it's much harder to work this way because you're actually working with learning not just with the, the present ability of a yes. child to perform we're working with learning and and you know I, I often give this example of a kid that lives in the 10th floor of an apartment his mother works all day single mother the other kid lives in the bottom floor two parents good job back garden he's out playing every day and those two kids turn, turn up at football which first day seven years of age or eight which one is going to be the best mm. obviously the guy who's got the opportunity and experience to play the game but that does we shouldn't disregard the potential of the other child because yeah, these, these young kids that turn up at a training have a whole bibliography of experiences and opportunities that have been afforded to them yet we just look at what they can do now that second and we judge that performance yeah yeah which so, is a huge mistake we're making yeah so what if you look at uh, say look at Ireland the technical ability is always talked about the players in Ireland and what you know we've got poor technical ability what 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 would your coaching be that probably in Ireland that we don't have what, what do you think is the reason behind the technical the well, lack of technical um, ability I don't have I have friends who work in Ireland and they agree with you so I have to go by their opinion yeah. mm. as I don't really I'm not involved in coaching in Ireland but one thing that I think about is that I think Ireland has an incredible unique opportunity to develop very skillful players because of hurling because of rugby and because of Gaelic football as well yeah. and I think the real um, the real DNA if you want to use that of Irish sport is multi-sport yeah. The, yeah. the opportunity to play all these sports at young ages can give so much to children and just because you're playing a lot of Gaelic football if you're 13 or 14 and playing a bit of soccer does not mean you can't become a top soccer player yeah. you know and I think Ireland, Ireland needs to embrace its uniqueness as opposed to we're back to separating stuff again now you know yeah. it kind of saddens me when you see somebody sent me there was some soccer club in Dublin were having trials for 8 year olds whereas the GA club was welcoming all 8 year olds yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you've, tr you know, and and I, I think when I think Ireland needs to embrace that, it's a very unique situation. Um, yeah, well, a lot of the stuff that if I would use in air coaching would be it'd be cover coaching, which would be a lot of pressure on a person on a ball, as well as learning your basic skills and stuff like that. But to be it'd be game related. And as you said, you've seen training sessions with cones and dribbling in our cones yeah. and stuff like that. With Cover coaching, it's all got to do with 1v1s, 2v2s and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So there's Yeah, I heard Cover has gone away from the drill thing yeah. more to putting more context, which is positive because I don't think that I've, for many years they weren't succeeding. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think they've kind of moved away from this. Yeah, so is that is that the kind of, for you and your training sessions, is that what you would look for? You would look for, uh, so relative to the game that there, well, ha there has to be yeah, pressure well I, I'm, I'm doing a PhD at the moment um, on creating learning environments for children in soccer um, I've just started it actually and the idea is that 
I, what I, I, I base my work on what's called constraints-based learning, and um, it's underpinned by nonlinear pedagogy, which is the principles that are one would be representative learning design. Does it look and feel like a game? Like now, a classic one say of that would be if if you were say you're training six, we we'll say sixteen-year-olds now, they're a bit older, and you're working on attacking corners, you know? Yeah. It always, the classic one is the coach just uh, loads of balls, loads of corners, attacking, attacking, attacking. But there is no consequence in that. Yeah. Because, the, and then you wonder why your players don't recover if, if they don't, you know, win the ball. So what would happen is, let's say, the defenders clear it, then you must go into the next phase of play so there's a consequence. Yeah. The recovery to defend after not succeeding with the corner, if you understand. So yeah. that, rep, that makes it more representative because it, yeah. rep, it feels and represents the game. But also with younger kids, some stuff similar. Um, well, we wouldn't be working on corners with young kids, of course. No, but I just no. want to give an example. So, representative learning does it does it does it look like look and feel like a game? Uh, the coupling of perception and action, that uh, the information that the young player is is um, taking in is relevant to the game, and yeah. he couples his perception and action, and the action drives perception, and the perception drives action. This is how children learn to walk. Yeah, you know, yes, yeah. they crawl, are crawling. Um, they stand up at the table. There's new information, new perception, and they're goal orientated. So they learn to walk. If you if you ever film your children learning to walk, none of them look at their feet. Yeah. So this brings us to what I call external focus of attention. That the focus of attention is always external, not internal. And science is very clear in this that when with young kids, young learners, that if we focus them on their feet and parts of their body. And you must do, hold your leg this way and do that. That that actually inhibits learning. But if the intention is goal orientated, external, like pass between the gaps over there of the two players, you know, to the forward or whatever, or yeah. dribble between the gaps of two players, then that's that's a far better way of developing skill. So, would you be putting them in scenarios where, yeah, you're putting them in scenarios which are game like, but then some of the learning yeah. has to come from within themselves. You're not just kind of. This is all the information. That's all you need to know. You're putting some yeah, trust it's, into it's them. Yeah, self-organization. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The information. They self. Children are smarter than we think. You know. Correct. I, I see a lot of. I was working with some guy there last week. Uh, he's working with nine and ten year olds, and he was wondering why he couldn't get them to create wit and depth. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't really talk about wit and depth with them. Let's talk about something else. So I said, okay, let's play these games. And I started manipulating the size of the pitch as the games went. 3v1, 4v2, 4v4, 3v2. And I asked him, is it easier, is it harder to defend a big space or a small space? And the kid said, yeah, it's harder to defend a big space. Okay, what does that mean when you have the ball? And they were like, oh, we should make the space big. So why do you make the space big? Because it's hard for them to defend. Kids <laughs> want to have the ball. So they're actually, they're actually teaching themselves the answer yeah. rather than being exactly. told. Yeah. And you so remember a lot when, longer. Yeah, so just so just by the fact that they understand that it's harder to defend a big space, that, yeah, we want the ball, we have to make the space big. And they, they work out then how, so show me how you do it. So we create a game and they they show how it's done. And then when when it's done in the game, because what's very important is that we we need to work with young players who are developing a better understanding in the game, not of the game, in the game. Yeah. So when, the, when they start doing stuff in the game, that's when you can go in and work with it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, FC Barcelona we've all never heard of them never heard of them <laughs> <laughs> we've, all, we've all melted over their football we've all melted over the players they have the style they've had uh, it's all intricate passing and is there a case with Barcelona though and it may be just now 
in the last year or two that we've seen it, is it a case that they've developed these type of players that uh, it's I suppose there's no indivi- individualism to it that they're all kind of very similar although very high quality players mm-hmm. that it's it's kind of biting, biting them in the arse that uh, people are figuring out it's very easy to plan out now against Barcelona year after year uh, um uh, is, is it like is individualism of, of players being taken away from their coach? Um you know well actually I was I've, I've, I've just spent a few days in Barcelona because I was presenting at their at the FC Barcelona Complexity Conference yeah uh, and I got to spend a whole day with Joan Vila who's yeah. the head mm-hmm. of methodology there and I think one of the the misinterpretations around Barcelona is 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 that it's all based it's based on more than football. They have a lot of values. Yeah. And they, their whole youth team is to keep, they look at it not about develop, oh, they, of course they want to develop good players, but they look at it more as to keep their values alive. That's what they speak a lot about. Right. So if they don't use the word attack, they use in position, they've removed all military words from attacking, defending from, from their education. Okay. So they they're working more with values, and it's about keeping their game. It's their game. They speak about their game, <laughs> and keeping their game alive. And if if you're going to leave Messi one v one, somebody is going to knock the ball forty meters to him. Yeah. You know, they're capable of doing that, but it's just it's just how they play. Um, they they've got certain principles. It's very interesting. I think it's they. Their whole football education is more than just football. It's a lot of values, and that's what wonderful was shown because he played with, he played with Cruyff, he assisted Cruyff as a coach, and he coached Xavi and Iniesta and Messi. Yeah. And this guy was showing us films of them as kids playing, and he was really crying and with joy, because they were doing it a beautiful way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's about values. To be honest, most of it's been kind of hitting my it's been kind of tapping me in the head every time when we're talking here and when you're listening to you like Johan Christ's famous phrase like football is a simple game but the hardest thing in football is keeping it simple yeah and obviously that's what we've got away from and obviously because yeah. there's a lot of money to be made in coaching nowadays yeah and because it's a simple game we, we forget that it's also a complex game with many mm. complex factors why kids perform participate and mm. we forget stuff like personal development among children that's why like Joan said the driving factor for him in Barcelona is that football is such a wonderful tool for children to learn about life yeah and that's that's where he starts you know mm. so that's um, and well the players that emerge from here are you know there's there's some very interesting footballers. They've given us some great joy. And as he said himself, the peak was this Guardiola was around 2008, 9-10 era. That's when everything, Came you together. know, the perfect storm. Yeah. Uh, so, Mark, what makes a good coach? <laughs> you, know, you, you know yourself, you have probably a couple of different types of coaches. You've got one coach who will uh, do exactly what we've been talking about there, you know, let, let kids figure out stuff themselves. You've got... Uh, or well, it's co- not letting kids, it's creating the environment for kids creating to the figure environment, out themselves. Yeah. <laughs> you get, you Designing have, the environment. Yeah, you have other yeah. Uh, coaches, I suppose, who will tell the child absolutely everything. But what actually makes a good coach? Uh, <laughs> I think it's, uh, you know, what I think, 
it's about relationships. Okay. I, yeah. I, when I work with coaches, if we're doing special camps, I always say, look, we can have all our drills and our session design and everything, but you're going to a bunch of kids. Yeah. You, uh, your job is to develop a relationship with every child and see that they develop relationships with each other. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you achieve that, you're going to have a fantastic, uh, dynamic uh, environment for learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's how I would <laughs> maybe <laughs> no, maybe explain it. Yeah, and I think you just you have to have your personality is huge, isn't it? If you if you can't uh, yeah, well, if you can't, re- if you can't how relate with kids, us, really. Yeah. So, I think you have to have a certain knowledge about children's non-linear development. That yeah. you know, it's a biopsychosocial non-linear development. You have to respect that. And once you understand that and step back, and you understand that it's their game, not yours, then yeah, it's quite a humbling experience, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I think it's probably one of the biggest things, isn't it, for yeah. parents especially, that they kind of believe that the. They have to try to push them on to be. A pre- I say it so often now. They need to push on if you want to try and ever. Now is your time to be a, if you want yeah. to be a professional footballer. You know, instead but, of did you have fun? But that I'm going to play football. You know, so there's a lot of pressure from parents. Yeah, and this whole thing with professional football begins. You know, I, I don't know if I if you read. I, I told a story in my blog about some parent that came to me one day and said, "My son needs." Uh, more, uh, better football training more serious football training he's really ambitious yeah. I said well your son's seven <laughs> and, uh, and he probably still believes in Santa Claus yeah. you know? so, and so I went to his son I said hey you know uh, do you want to go to the moon and his son said yeah and I said well your son wants to be an astronaut how are you going to solve that problem <laughs> yeah, and you know this is like every bloody child in the world wants to be messy wants yeah. to be an astronaut wants to be an Indian or wants to I don't know <laughs> be a postman or a milkman or, you know it's like correct yeah and we just we parents attach this as vital meaning to it that that's what they want and mm. I'm going to help them get that yeah you know and really let let them dream let them think about these things hmm. but we we should not force any issues on this no. well listen mark it's been an absolute pleasure uh it, oh, t- it took I a lot it, okay. it took a long time to get you <laughs> 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 mainly due to us in the first place but uh uh keep in touch and hopefully we'll have a chat again okay thank you okay it's been a pleasure thanks, thanks mark, mark. Uh, bye bye, bye. bye, bye. And that was Mark O'Sullivan who was with us on Friday. Wait, a great interview, wasn't it? Ah, super. Great man. Great interview. And he know, certainly knows his football inside out. Uh, Cork man as well. So it was good to get someone uh, from Cork. Yeah, who's, they always keep their opinions to themselves as well, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, Mark has a great uh, football blog. It's called uh, footblogball.wordpress.com and there's so many different and, and it gets very, it can get very analytical about the, and, and very easy as well to, to read, but the, the, sto- the stories and uh, I suppose the blogs that he writes, they're in tune with a coach's mind. And if yeah. anyone out there who's really interested in coaching and wants to, I suppose, not just to open up your mind, but to think about coaching in different ways, it's a great blog to listen mm-hmm. to. So footblogball.wordpress.com. Uh, and if you ever want to get in touch with Mark, it's mark.kiss at gmail.com. 